This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I'm joined today by Dr. Barbara Anderson, just around the corner from me in Carews Bay. And she is a Rutherford Discovery Fellow at based at Otago Museum. I think it's the Rutherford Discovery Fellow based at Otago Museum. Sorry, say again, the... The Rutherford Discovery Fellow the based Ru- at Otago Museum. Oh yeah, I, I well, there's lots of the there's lots of Rutherford Discovery Fellows, but I'm the only one that's at the Otago Museum. So, yeah, <laughs> on how you look at it, yes, I am the Rutherford Discovery Fellow that they have there. I'm a, actually by trade, I'm a quantitative ecologist, which means that um, I count things in order to work out how they interact with other species and with individuals within their own species and with the environment around so yeah and how was your bubble life oh my bubble life uh my bubble life was actually really quite nice from a personal point of view um i had organized a a lot of field work um to start mid-March and go through April, which all got cancelled. So that was um, slightly, from a work point of view, it was kind of not ideal. Um, But it did mean that I had a lot of time to do other things. And I did a lot of knitting, as Tahu will tell you. But um, you asked me to pick some songs. And my partner and I are very big fans of the Desert Island Discs radio show from the UK. Um, So when you said about picking songs, I thought, what would suit this positive vibe here? Um, And my first song on the list was ACDC, It's a Long Way to Go. And I picked that song because that's on our fieldwork track because our fieldwork is generally a long drive to somewhere remote to do moth work. Um, or whatever fieldwork we're planning on doing, but um, of recent years, that's been moth trapping. And it's always a long way. It's always a long way to go, and it sort of is like it's a long way to the top. So that's that's my my fieldwork song. In and obviously the, I'm a big ACDC fan. In the 90s, I was working for the regional council looking after the vegetation and soil monitoring program, looking after the condition and trend program, which had started in the... started in the 50s and I was totally convinced that they put out sites that were the hardest possible things to get to just so that they could spend the entire summer out in the field 
I, I, it's possible, but I suspect they probably did some randomised sampling and tried to get things nope. um, with a bit of a stratified look to it. So no, nope, um, I don't believe yeah. it. No, nope, they, <laughs> they, they, they could have put things on perfectly good, perfectly good sites close close to the homestead, but nope. <laughs> yeah, I, I know a lot of people think that about about field work, but it's not true. It's ne- it's never true. It would. Yeah, the fact that I, I did my PhD sampling in, in Corsica and Italy has nothing to do with it being a wonderful place to live and eat. No, I I have spent a lot of time carrying soil up and down mountains. Yeah. Not just down the mountains, but up over the next one. Yeah, yeah, me too. That's, um, that's actually why I had a massive back operation last July. So, yeah, I'm... Just feeling like I'm recovered from that now after all those years of soil carrying. I'm not doing soils anymore. That's why. Yes. Um, yeah, I guess that's what we in academia call a pyramid scheme because that's why we have students, right? <laughs> okay, so let's have ACDC. It's a long way to the top. Awesome.
Did you say moths? That's a long way from soil. Yeah, moths, as in as in butterflies and moths. So um, since I've been back in, well, I started when I was in the UK. So I did a lot of postdocs when I was in the UK, um, and I worked in. Well, I come from a plant background, so I actually did my PhD here at the Botany Department at Otago, um, in quantitative ecology, but using plants. So looking at interactions of plants and stressful conditions. Um, and then I went to the UK. And while I was in the UK, I worked in a lab that did a lot of work on butterflies. And what I was doing was modeling um, the effects of climate change on butterfly distributions and working with models of population dynamics and conservation prioritization. So I did that, and I did that for about eight years with this massive group in York University, which was fantastic, but I wasn't actually collecting the data. I was using data that's been collected over a long time. So there they have this kind of culture of just going for a walk and collecting data. So they would just like have a little notebook and write down everything they see when they go for a walk. And People in England, and this is like hundreds of years that they've been doing this, ever since they invented vicars that only really work on Sunday and the rest of the week they would just sort of walk around the parish and talk to people. It was sort of what you did with third sons back in the day. Um, anyway, that's where it all came from. So people go around and they collect a lot of things and then they have these notebooks full of the things that they saw. I saw a robin, I saw whatever type of, of butterfly here, there and everywhere. And then they started sending those in. So they have a series of vice county recorders and county recorders. And anyway, this data has all been collected in the Biological Records Centre. And they have produced for different groups um, a series of atlases. So um, for the butterflies, for instance, they have they had when I started there, they already had three atlases, which is a, a 10k grid. To the whole of the UK where they know every single butterfly species that's in the UK whether it's there or not um, and because they know whether it's there or not it's really good data for modeling and because it goes back so long so we had a 30 something year um, record of it and we could use that to look at the already observed effects of climate change on species distribution change. So we could show that there's already been a, a massive change in some species distribution based on already happened climate change. And then I got this fellowship and came back to New Zealand. And I thought, oh, it'd be great. I'll be able to do the same thing in New Zealand. But of course, we've got absolutely no data here. So we had almost no data. Um, and uh, that's what I sort of started thinking, okay, well, actually, if we were gonna get any data, then it has to start somewhere. And my idea was to start it with moths because there's many, many moth species. So New Zealand's got about 2,000 moth species um, and it's a really, really high rate of endemism. So about 90% of our moths are found nowhere else in the world, which is um, quite a high level. It's amazing, really. And it's wonderful for us to be able to look at them. But we have very few people looking at them. So that's sort of what I've been doing is working on that, um, getting people excited about moths. And so, yeah. So you're trying to build up the, the, the community monitoring along the lines of what's been happening for longer in the UK? Yeah, so we're never going to achieve what they've got in the UK, um, partly because we can't go back in time, but also um, 
we have a very different structure. We've got a land area that's slightly bigger than the UK, but with many, many fewer people. So we've got like five million people, and they've got sixty-something million people. Um, so we and we're much. Um, we're very concentrated, well, they're concentrated as well, but we're very concentrated around Auckland um, and the big cities, and then we've got these big areas that aren't. But what we can do is we can learn from their data and be more systematic about how we do the sampling um, and have a much better idea. And also we can get much more sensitive data by using quantitative data and using moths rather than butterflies because there's many more moth species than there are butterfly species. Um, so that's the big idea. And then we started this group um, just trying to enthuse people about moths with the idea if more kids liked moths, um, became excited about them, were able to identify them a bit better, eventually those kids would then grow up to be adults who might look at moths um, and become lepidopterists or even just amateur enthusiasts, which are what all of the data in the UK is all based on amateur enthusiasts and that's really just what we need because we're never going to hopefully compete with them on numbers of people um, we just need to be a little bit smarter about how we collect the data in my opinion. So what are you so doing why are you based at the museum? Uh, oh that's, that, is, that is a tricky question <laughs> but the museum has what, what I love about being based at the museum is the museum has a great um citizen science, I guess you'd call it, or outreach programs. So they have a lot of engagement with the public and it's something that the museum is is there for, but really supports um, people there. So it's not, re it's not where people in this country, in this decade, think of researchers as being, but actually the museums in the past were huge centres of research. And in other countries, they still are. So I'm really, really happy to be at the museum. And they have a massive collection of moths there, which is fantastic, because one of their past curators was Brian Patrick, and they have a large part of his collection. And Otago is amazing because it is a hotspot for moths. And it's not just because Brian Patrick was here, um, although Brian Patrick may have been here because it is a hotspot. But we have a lot of species of moths here, and we have some really cool moths. Um, but yeah, I like working with people that are nice and the people that I'm working with at the museum are really nice. So that's fantastic. And they've been, yeah, it's a really great atmosphere to work in and it's really buzzing always with things happening. So yeah. So what do you do to engage people in moths? Because lots of people are weirdly, not I don't know, it's frightened of moths, but don't like them. There is, there's a, there is a lot of people that are weirdly... Um, freaked out by moths and I kind of get that because most people's experience of moths is um, the moths are scared and chaotic and they're flying towards them um, and that's generally because you're standing between the moth and a big bright light and the moth's coming at it so the easiest thing is to turn the light off um, and then the moth will stop panicking and freaking out and stop flying around crazy and it's not really flying at you although it feels like that to a lot of people but what we have realized is that um, Little kids aren't usually afraid of moths at all. It's a learned behaviour. And so what I would do is put out a plea to all parents that if you do have a moth phobia, please keep it to yourself. Don't pass it on to the next generation. It's an irrational fear. The moth can't hurt you. Um, and moths are amazing. So if you actually get the chance to 
um, come to one of our events, see them live, um, see them in the morning. The traps we use are live traps. Um, so we put them out, the, the moth flies to it, it nestles down inside the, the little egg cartons. Um, we will have some this year at the Faro Flat um, Music Festival over New Year's. So we're doing the program there with Tahu McKenzie. We're doing the, the children's program again. And if the weather's good, which we're hoping it will be, um, and the COVID levels are good to us, um, we will be there and we will have moth traps out so people can see the moths. And they're beautiful and they're really quiet and calm first thing in the morning because they're cold. And so they just sort of are sleepily walking around and they just will walk onto your hand and you can just look at them really close. So we will do that. But yeah, it, that's part of the, pro, the the purpose of our engagement is just to get people used to the fact that moths are beautiful, diverse insects that benefit our ecosystem a massive amount. I see you've got an amazing picture on the back of your office there uh, with a pollination Thing happening from one of those old pictures that was at the Hocken. I've got this, the same poster, but actually, um, the New moths in New Zealand are huge pollinators. They just don't get the credit because they quietly go about it at night while everybody's asleep. So, yeah. And you can see one of my other passions, and this is my big, this is my um, feeling good, which is my next song choice. This is what makes me feel good. So, it is um, knitting. And obviously knitting and moths, because knitting's all wool-based, is one of the things that everybody asks about moths. But New Zealand native moths do not eat wool. So if you have something eating your wool, it's likely it's a carpet beetle or possibly one of the couple of introduced moth species which do eat wool. But because New Zealand didn't have wool here and didn't have a lot of land-based mammals, um, just those two bats, there isn't a lot of animal fibre for them to eat. So there's no point in a moth in New Zealand evolving to eat wool. So they didn't. Um, the moths that we do have were introduced probably in sea chests with the first Europeans who brought their wool and brought the introduced moth species. But yeah, so my next, that's my next song choice is Feeling Good by the amazing Nina Simone. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me, yeah. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me. And I'm feeling good. Fish in the sea, you know how I feel. River running free, you know how I feel. Blossom on the tree, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day, it's a new life for me, and I'm feeling good. Dragonfly out in the sun, you know what I mean, don't you know? 
butterflies all having fun You know what I mean Sleep in peace when day is done That's what I mean And this old world is a new world In a bold world for me shine, you know how I feel Send of the pine, you know how I feel Your freedom is mine And I know how I feel It's a new dawn It's a new day It's a new You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. I'm Samuel Mann, and I am talking with Barbara Anderson. We were just talking about Tahu, and here she is. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, na mahi aroha nui, kia koutou ko tahu ahau. I hope you're all having a best day, beautiful superstar, and your beloved human. And I really hope that wherever you are, and whatever is happening around this journey that we're all on together and to be very rewarding, sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, for nature's are perfect and here things better. Thank you. So I've had a very interesting day and I've of course we forward to talking to you all about it. Very grateful for this time together. It's helped me enormously throughout this adventure we've been on together through lockdown level four, level three, level two, level one, level two, and now level one again for us in beautiful Autiporti Stunedin. And for those of you up north in level two, I hope it's all going really well for you. So I thought that today I could just take some time to thank you all and of course first and foremost thank you for physically manifesting at this time and bringing your unique gifts into this world thank you for everything that you're contributing consciously and unconsciously and thank you for all the kindness and all the care that you show every day to all the life that surrounds you thank you for all the learning that you thank you for all the teaching that you're doing thank you for the moments of wonder and awe that you can experience. Thank you for sharing what you love. Thank you for doing what you love. Thank you for being what you love. Thank you for showing love and communicating love. And of course, we've all been through this big roller coaster together, and I think we've done so, so well. So I really hope that you're feeling very proud. What we have been through together here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, I know many of us has whanau around the world. My mum's still in the UK. It has been incredibly stressful, and it is still incredibly stressful. But I know for me that it has really helped me to reaffirm and realign a lot of my own values, be more aware of what I need and 
what brings out the best in me and I'm still doing my best to understand this so that I can absolutely make the most of my time and my energy in the best ways for the time that I and we had such a wonderful time today at Orokanui because of course beautiful Waimari the eel came to see us and for all of the beautiful life forms at Orokanui our interaction with them is on their terms if they don't feel like connecting with us they want to explore other parts of the eco sanctuary or they want to sleep or rest or feast upon morsels in another part of the pond if they're Waimari we can't see them of course we totally respect that and I think it's important that we apply the same level of empathy and understanding to ourselves at this time. I think a lot of us will be feeling quite up and down. I know that I am at times feeling very strong and confident and full of joy in life and at other times feeling that I do need to have that time of rest and repose and recharge and that time to really reconnect with myself and my values and make sure that I'm practicing the self-care that I need. And for me, this has meant adjusting some things after my healing journey at Stenedon Public Hospital and making sure I'm getting my endorphins in the morning when I can still do my exercise, making sure that I'm getting lots and lots of time and beautiful real living nature and of course having time with you and with all the other people that surround me that I love so I hope that for you you're taking it easy on yourself appreciating all the great work that you're doing and allowing yourself that time of solitude and thanks so much so you didn't get to go on your your field trips what did you do instead I stayed at home and knitted <laughs> <laughs> I've done so much knitting. It's amazing. Yeah, so I did a lot of knitting. Um, I did a lot of walking um, with my dog, Akimai, who's just sitting over there in the corner, um, wondering why I'm talking to the computer again. Um, yeah, so, and that's really nice because we actually got to meet a lot of our neighbours um, because everyone was out walking and everyone was sort of across the road. We were really easily able to socially distance but still um everyone was out we got a lot of nice walks in um yeah and we're really lucky we were we were very appreciative being here um on the harbour side being able to go and walk along the harbour around the block having akimai here and thinking all the time oh my goodness all my friends and family that are in other places in the world um especially my family in, in Italy, who were locked down for a really, really long time and didn't have the the um, the lightness of touch that we had, which allowed us, even on our strongest level lockdown, to still be out exercising as long as we had our socially distancing. So I was feeling very, very um, lucky and very privileged to have um, the amazing government and the amazing Jacinda and Ashley Bloomfield and all my scientist friends, um, Susie Wiles and everyone who was actually able to feed them the evidence base that they could act on and having a government that was willing and able to act on a science evidence base. It's just, it's, it's phenomenal. And, and it's, 
really amazing how how rare that's been across the world. But yeah, so just on a more sober thought. Yeah, we've talked a lot about the we've talked a lot about how the messaging has been so successful, but not so much about the the scientific basis for it, and even less that point that you've just made that the government was prepared to listen to the science and took the science seriously. I wonder, yeah, I wonder and- why. I wonder what what set that up. Oh, it's just it's absolute it's absolute luck for us that we happen to have the prime minister that we've got and the and the government we've got at the point that we've got it. I think it's just it's not. I don't think it's something special about. I mean, I'd love to say it was something special about the New Zealand character, but I don't think it is. I think it's just pure luck, and um, we really got lucky that we had that government um, in charge at the time that we did have them. I think. Um, and I should say on that note, um, with my other hat on as the vice chair for the um, Otago Institute, which is the Otago Southland branch of the Royal Society, we have finally organised our amazing What's Hot event. And we did think that we were going to be able to get Susie Wiles um, down here in person. Um, but just before it was originally scheduled, we actually got this second little cluster happen in Auckland. Um, and we weren't sure what was going to happen with the levels. Um, so we've made the decision that we're going to have it totally live streamed. It will be on the 1st of October at 5.30. Um, and you can go on Facebook, the link is there, and you just click on the link, register, and you can come. We've got three amazing speakers this year. We've got Susie Wiles from Auckland, and she'll be speaking about whatever is the latest thing that's happened in COVID and a little bit about her um, her personal experience of dealing with the media and the outreach that's gone with that. Um, and then we've got the amazing Materia Today, who I hope you've had on your show because she's done some fantastic artwork over the, um, over the break. Um, and she's also, as part of our event, we're going to have her art on display and we're just working out the details of that, but she'll be talking about that and sort of how you can use, how she's sort of used that time as reflection and what she's doing and some of maybe broaching into some of the social issues that come along with COVID, um, particularly in families or whanau that have got um more pressures from a social economic standpoint. Um, and then we've got the amazing Professor Lisa Alice from the Otago University, um, who will be talking about COVID, life after COVID. So it's all sort of life after COVID, but her is taking a sort of more long-term look and looking at issues around sustainability and how we deal with the stimulus package and how to make that work into the future. So where do we find so, yeah, that? So that's, uh, it's all on the Otago Institute Facebook page. And I think details and the link should be on the website page as well. And I can send you the link as well if you like. Cool. I don't know where your stuff pops up. But, yeah. <coughs> and that's totally free. Anyone can um, register, join in. And there will be a live question and answer. So you can type in your questions as the talk speakers are speaking. And then at the end, we'll have a panel discussion where we'll be able to take the questions from the chat. 
So it's this is your chance. So you're uh, talking about Lisa looking at some of the social things and, and Materia looking at some of the social things. So I'm going to ask you those same things now. So we've seen lots of social changes over the last six months or so. Nine months, however long it is now, it keeps going up, doesn't it? Yep. <laughs> what, what, what do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? Oh, what do I think is going to stick? I, do you know what? I think the hand washing is going to stick. I think that's the thing that's going to, and I think that's a huge thing. And I think also, I think, and I really hope this is going to stick, but I also think it will stick, is our perception to sickness. Because I think in New Zealand, we have this really, 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 really bad idea that, you know, we should soldier on. We should still go to work if we're sick. Um, because otherwise it's not fair on everybody else. And actually that's completely wrong. Um, we should stay at home, not just now because of COVID, but all the time. If you've got the flu, you go to work, you do a half pie job, it takes you longer to get better, you feel terrible, and you infect everybody else in your office. So I really, and I think that that message has really come through, and the same with schools. And I think um, yeah, that really is a big change because it's, it's a change in in psyche. It's a change in how we think about things. Um, so I really hope that that sticks, and I think it will. And I also think hand washing and thinking about germs on our hands in general. I think that's a habit that once you've got into it, I think I think it will stick, especially if we keep reinforcing it and the same in schools and in workplaces. Um, what I hope will stick, I really hope, like I think a lot of people have reconnected with their local um, area just from going for sort of daily or every second day walks around the block. I think a lot of people have reconnected with their really local, local community. <laughs> Just in terms of seeing what's out, seeing the plants are out, waving to your neighbour across the fence, whatever. And especially even because it was during winter. Like in summer, you can sort of expect that. But during winter, people kind of stay huddled up in home. So I think that that's really, I think that probably has made some connections, which will keep. I hope that the idea, even though we're seeing that degenerate already, I hope that the idea of politics being. Um, being kind and being civil and attacking the policy, not the person, and not just objecting for the sake of objecting because people think that that's what the job of opposition is to do. Um, I hoped that that would stay longer, but I feel like that's already starting to disintegrate, um, which is a real shame because I would really like to see our politics in this country. And that's local politics as well as national politics. I really would like to see it mature out of that kind of aggressive antagonistic to do what's better for people. I think one of the other big things that I really think um, that I would love to see um, stick is a new idea around how we in New Zealand think about mental health. Um, because I think we have an absolutely atrocious record of of how we deal about mental health and it's it's sorry this is getting a bit bit down as well but is mental health week i think this week next week i'm actually not sure now um but 
yeah, we have a terrible record of suicides in New Zealand, but it's not just that, it's at every level before that. It's just how we deal with mental health, the stigma that's around it, um, the way that workplaces see it, the way that colleagues see it, it's terrible and it needs to change. And I think that a little bit um, over this COVID break and everybody, and I think a lot of people have just been like, way too stressed out at work and I think a lot of people the the actual forced lockdown wasn't a bad idea and I sort of wonder if maybe we just have a month every year where we all just say okay we're not doing work this year but we do have that month every year we have a holiday and we rush around yeah and we need to stop with that rushing around but yeah I I really I really don't like that we have um and this is going to be really controversial but I hate the Christmas break I really do because um, there's exams, there's marking, everyone in university, which is my husband, so nothing happens. We've got a, our most intense field season is then, and then you've got on top of that, you've got all the Christmas preparations and everything, and then, oh, it's just it's a nightmare. I just don't want to have to deal with Christmas and New Year then. I would much prefer that they cancel Christmas and New Year and just have two weeks off for Matariki in the middle of winter and then we don't have to decide what day it is, just have it all. I don't, or just have a summer holiday, but have like a holiday where you don't have to rush around, just cancel all the presents, cancel all the decorations, just have a nice meal with your family and friends, have a chilled out holiday. Yeah, that's what I would like. But you end up with just all these crazy deadlines and, yeah. For those of us with field work in the summer, it's just, yeah. So what lessons do you think we can take from how we've responded to the pandemic for the perhaps bigger questions, climate change, social justice and so on? Ooh, what lessons can we take? Um, I think the idea that that the public will do things, but it's really up to our government, our leaders to lead. And if they lead openly, transparently, and based on science and evidence base, and they explain to people what needs doing and why it needs doing it. And yes, people make mistakes. If you make a mistake, apologize for it, move on. I think, um, we need to get rid of this whole idea of calling for people's resignations every time someone makes some tiny mistake. That's just counterproductive. If they're the best person for the job, they're the best person for the job. And everyone makes mistakes sometimes, so we can move on from that, just as a little side rant on the side there. But um, I think we actually managed to do that for COVID. And I think that is how we combat climate change. But it needs to be taken from the front. You can't expect like the public all to do things without it coming from from the top. And and what I really loved, and I still actually really like it, is the press conferences being live. Um, because we actually see the response from the politician right there. We don't have it filtered through the media. I mean, you can have it filtered through the media, you get everyone's take on it afterwards, but I think that. As a, as a populist, having the PM, the chief medical person, the um, 
finance minister, whoever it is, stand up and, and talk. And what I would like to see is um, more thoughtful questions quite often from the from the media asking the questions. I mean, some of them are fantastic and they really are asking the questions, but I also would kind of like to have um, a little less of the re-asking the same question that's already been answered. And it's not giving them a break, but it's also letting them say the things. But I think that just that regular every day at one o'clock, I think people really like that. And I just just because everyone tunes in and I think if we really want to do something about climate change, if we really want to do something about biodiversity loss, if we really want to do something about Predator 2050, that's the way to do it.
the great things about COVID was, of course, having the social license to indulge in Netflix or watching um, all the Avengers movies all over again. And obviously, I'm a great Guardians of the Galaxy Chris Pratt um, fan. So that's where I got the um, Come Get Your Love CD track from. That was my, yeah. And I, and I think that's a lot. I, I think... Do you know, I think that's actually one of the big benefits of COVID is that we've had a social license to just look after yourself, do a little bit of self-care and actually not feel guilty if you're, you know, not really feeling up to it today and you just want to chill out and watch your favourite movie again or um, knit something nice because it's pretty and you want to play with wool. And I think actually as a society, we need to do more of that and Lisa, the rushing round. The be kind message applies to yourself. I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time, so I have to be quick. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, the biggest success I've had in the last couple of years. Oh, well, we've just about got our Ahi Pepe digital game ready to launch. So that's a pretty big success. Um, we managed to get all of the Kurokopapa Māori or Otipoti school that I work for, we managed to make everyone at the school a mask. So I think that's our biggest success. How's that? <laughs> we are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in our team. What is the superpower that's got you into our mansion? Oh, enthusiasm for moths, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if that's a superpower. <laughs> if there's a moth needs saving, we know who to call. Maybe yeah. that enthusiasm <laughs> applies to other things as well. Well, that's true. I like I like to be convincing. One of the, one of the kids at the Kura, Georgia, asked me years ago now, um, "How do you be convincing?" And I think that the key to being convincing is um, being passionate about what you believe in. Didn't they do a fantastic job at the science fair? Oh, they are awesome. They did. Oh, my gosh. I should have said that. That was my major thing. Oh, my gosh. They they put the senior class put in the most amazing science fair entries. And they were so pleased. And they came away with some amazing prizes, um, which was fantastic. And they really put in a lot of hard work. Um, and they had three big panels, displays. It was fantastic. It was the first time that they've ever been to the science fair, let alone entered it from the kura. Um, yeah, and they were that, wonderful. The poi one in particular, I couldn't fault. Yeah, Portuki poi, absolutely amazing. That's Georgia for you. Yeah, but so, yeah, Miss G. <laughs> so, do you consider yourself to be an activist? Oh, an activist. I don't think I'm an activist. I think I'm I'm extreme. I, I, I'm a big fan of Tim Minchin, and I think I am extremely passionate about small things. Some of them are big, maybe, but like on a very I, and I don't know. I think the devil's in the detail, and I think that's the key, really, isn't it? You can't you can't solve any big thing just one person, but you can be extremely passionate about small things. So, what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, usually my husband prodding me with a cup of coffee. <laughs> does that does that does that count? That counts. What challenge are you looking forward to? Uh, what challenge am I looking forward to? I guess the challenge I'm looking forward to is the 
Oh, I don't know. Just uh, I guess the end of my fellowship because I've got one more year to go. So I've got a lot to cram in now because I've got the field work that I didn't get done from last year and a whole lot of other things. Um, so yeah, I guess that's on a on a small mundane sort of a scale. That's the challenge I'm looking forward to. Um, a big challenge for me is regaining my fitness from the back operation that I had. So I was not doing a lot of exercise for a long time, like many months. Um, and, yeah, so th this previous weekend is the first weekend that I've really been full on back in the garden. And luckily we had the weather for it, so that was amazing. So, yeah, so that's my big challenge is just um, regaining my fitness there. I can highly recommend swimming in the harbour. Swimming in the harbour, yeah. <laughs> well, I can see the harbour from here. So, um, yeah, I'll try that. Lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Yeah, so be nice to moths and don't listen to misinformation. Go right to the source and check that your source is right. Thank you very much for joining me. We're going to go out to the Scorpions wind of change thank you very much and thank you for having me and thank you for playing wind of change follow the Moscow down to Gonky Park listening to the wind of change August summer night Soldiers passing by, listening to the wind of change. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie, Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I was joined today by Barbara Anderson from Kerry's Bay. We hope you enjoyed the show.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.